Hey guys, welcome back on the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel. This is Alf speaking, and today's episode of this show will actually be a quite a different one. I won't be interviewing anybody. I will actually be the one interviewing myself. And the reason why I decided to do that is to present to you one of my most read article of the Macro Compass, which is my free newsletter, which is an article that tries to explain the crazy market rally we are just witnessing right now. And um, effectively, this all started when Powell, during the press conference, last press conference, said, we are now at levels broadly in line with our estimates of neutral interest rates. And after front-loading our hiking cycle until now, we will be much more data-dependent going forward. Now, he back then admitted that economic growth was clearly slowing down, but the Fed had just hiked 75 basis points exactly in the same meeting, reiterated that they would like more, and still market staged a humongous rally since then, which was led by Nasdaq crypto, the most risk sentiment driven asset classes out there. So effectively what was going on there is what we will try to answer in this uh, short uh, video. And I mean, the real fireworks started exactly when he pronounced the sentence just said before, which basically everybody interpreted uh, as if the Fed would become all of a sudden data dependent going forward when the Fed reaches their estimate of neutral rates, which right now sit at about two and a half percent, as you can see in this chart, every time the blue line, which is Fed funds rate, go and hit the orange line, which is Fed's estimate of US nominal neutral rate, you are at a crossroad. It's very important for a bunch of reasons. First of all, we need to describe what the neutral rate is. It is the prevailing rate at which the economy delivers its potential GDP growth rate. It doesn't overheat, it doesn't cool down too much. Now with the 75 basis point hike, Powell just told us that he reached an estimate of neutral rate, which means that they are not contributing to overheating the economy anymore. And it also means that every hike from here puts them in a restrictive territory. Now the bond market, which is the key to this rally, knows that every time the Fed becomes restrictive, they end up breaking something. So I put up this chart that shows Fed funds rate minus neutral rates. So if this number is above zero, as you can see in the chart, the Fed goes into a restrictive policy. If the number is below zero, the Fed is being a commodative. The chart goes all the way back to 2000. It shows the last 22, 25 years of Fed funds rate against neutral interest rates. Every time Fed funds rate, so the Fed was tighter than neutral rates, something broke at some point dot-com bubble, great financial crisis, there was a taper tantrum sell-off, China was about to uh, float their currency at some point, 2018 bear market, uh, the very short one, which was then corrected by the pivot in 2019. Now, until yesterday, you could be totally sure, yesterday, until the last FOMC meeting, sorry, you could be totally sure that the Fed would have just pressed on the accelerator. Inflation must come down, no space for nuances, but exactly when he pronounced that that sentence I said before, so that from that, this moment onward, the Fed will become data dependent, journalists start asking questions. So they asked, you know, Mr. Powell, the bond market is pricing you to cut rates in 2023. What are your comments? And he said, well, you know, it's difficult to predict what will happen going forward. We will be fully data dependent. They asked him that, that about financial conditions. Right now, we have financial conditions that are basically loser than they were in March when the Fed just started hiking rates and inflation was bad, but not as bad as today. Today, we have financial conditions that are loser than then. And he said, well, you know, we're going to see what is the appropriate level of financial conditions to be reflected in the economy. Hard to predict, we will be data dependent. At that point, the market had understood 
that forward guidance had been watered down very aggressively. And what, what happens when you do that is that you, you basically remove any anchor from pricing in markets and you give people the green light to design and price their probability distribution across all asset classes because there is no straightforward guidance anymore. Now, if the Fed is so data dependent, guys, and the only thing they care about, let's be honest, is inflation going forward. The bond market has already a very, very strong opinion on what inflation will do. Inflation, as you can see in this chart, is priced to slow down very aggressively. One year forward, one year inflation swaps, which reflect the market implied inflation rate between 2023 and 2024. It's pricing inflation below 3% on a CPI basis. The Fed is tracking PCE, which is generally 30, 40 basis point lower. It effectively means that bond markets are pricing the Fed to hit their inflation target effectively right in the second half of 2023. Now, if the Fed is not on autopilot anymore, they're data dependent, they told you that their forward guidance is not very strict anymore, and you as the bond market has a super strong opinion, as I just explained, that inflation will slow down, then obviously you can now price all of that around other asset classes. This becomes your base case scenario. There is no anchor, no forward guidance surprising anymore. You can just price it out across all asset classes. If you look at the performance indeed that we have had after the FOMC, what has happened is, is that the biggest moved, the biggest positive moves, the biggest rallies happen in the most buttered down, most risk sentiment driven asset classes. NASDAQ, crypto to a certain extent, especially Ethereum, but also all the stocks that were hammered down big times over the last seven months have actually rallied a lot. Why is that? Because real rates can also be reprised if the Federal Reserve isn't as strict anymore as the forward guidance. And let's talk about real rates. They are, together with the bond market move, the very reason behind this rally. If the Fed isn't going to blindly keep hiking us into a recession, but it's going to be more data dependent, contingent on the view that CPI will quickly come down, and that's what the bond market is pricing, you have a green light to price the much more nuanced tightening cycle. The Federal Reserve doesn't need to push or will not push real yields to extremely high level, keep them in restrictive territory, they will be much more nuanced. And indeed, real yields, as a result, pricing the new scenario actually came in very aggressively. Forward real yields priced between 2027 and 2032, so medium-term real yields, went down from 80 basis point to 30 basis point, even hit zero at some point over the last few days. That's a massive, massive rally. When re real yields decline that much, what happens is that the valuation intensive part, the risk sentiment driven asset classes, they tend to perform. And why? Because the marginal inflation adjusted return that you get to own cash, just cash dollars or treasury, some form of risk-free investment in real terms becomes less attractive. Your real yields are coming down. But now also the discounting rate for your future cash flows becomes less punitive. You are discounting long-term cash flows with a lower discounting rate, which makes today's value of these cash flows higher. So the incentive to chase these risk assets actually goes up as real yields go down. And following this narrative, actually, the riskier, the more risk sentiment driven, the more valuation intensive is the asset class, the better it is. Here is a chart that I put out to show the very tight relationship between real yields and equity market valuations. So real yields are in orange in this chart. And in blue, you have the 
opposite of price earnings. It's the forward earnings yield. So if real yields, the orange line goes up, you can see that the earnings yield on the S&P goes up, which is another way to say that valuation go down. Now, see the opposite. As real yields come down, valuations will basically expand. So this relationship is very tight for a reason that I just ex um, explained. And if you try to guess in indeed, because of this de-anchoring of the forward guidance by the Fed, who effectively spurred the rally in real interest rates, which then translates into valuation, and the most risk-sentiment-driven asset classes are the beneficiaries, it's not difficult to guess that the most valuation-intensive and risk-sentiment asset classes of all, tech and crypto in general, were the one leading the rally. The real question we need to answer is, is this rally sustainable? If we try to put together the giant puzzle called global macro, can we say that all the pieces are falling into the right place to support this narrative? And I would say, hold your horses, guys. This would be my answer. In short, if we want to try and summarize, what has happened is that this market rally was spurred by Powell basically ditching his forward guidance, kickstarting full data dependency season. And given that the bond market has already a strong opinion that inflation will come down very hard, there is no autopilot Fed that just tightens more and more and more, but rather there is a more nuanced Fed Investors went ahead and repriced this new environment across all asset classes through lower real rates and spreading through tighter credit spreads, higher equity prices, etc., etc. What it also means is that less hikes now, as the Fed is going to be more nuanced, means less cuts later, means lower real yields, and as I said, means multiple intensive asset classes to rally. But if you try and put through this theory, through the global macro consistency test, as I call it, does it pass it? And the answer is not really, not yet. There are two main reasons. The first is, guys, let's, let's try and remember that the central bankers are fighting the biggest inflation fight that they ever engaged in over the last 35 years. And an inflation fight for a central banker is a credibility fight. They, they cannot pull back without having achieved any major progress when it comes to the composition and the momentum of inflation. They haven't achieved any of those. The momentum of inflation month on month is accelerating, not even stabilizing, not decelerating, but accelerating. And the composition of inflation is broadening towards the stickiest part of the inflationary basket as it normally happens in late cycle. But this is not an improvement. So how can you go in with a mildly restrictive stance to try and slay the inflation dragon? Now, history, as I show in this chart, shows that slaying inflation dragon is not done with baby steps. If we take the example of France or Europe in general in the 90s, there was a stubborn inflation between 1989 and 1991 in Europe at roughly 4%. Now, that was well above the central bank target back then. Do you know at which levels did central bankers had to raise and keep rates to slay the inflation dragon? You always need to compare these rates with the neutral interest rate because obviously a rate of 5% in the 80s is not equivalent to a rate of 5% today because today we have much more debt, much more leverage, a less productive economy, more technology, uh, weaker demographics, etc., etc. So look at the neutral rate in the, in the 90s. It was around 5% by my estimates. But French bond yields, European bond yields in general, had to go all the way up to above 8% that's much, much higher than the neutral rate. And today, this was necessary, actually, to, to slay the inflation dragon. It took more than two years 
of nominal rates much higher than neutral rates to actually slow inflation down. And today we are fighting inflation, which was which is much stronger than the 4% inflation Europe was fighting in the 90s. And we're assuming that the Fed will be able to engineer significantly lower inflation while taking already the foot off the gas pedal, having barely hit neutral rate, let alone a seriously tight stance. History would suggest this is not enough. And the second is that ditching forward guidance or watering it down very aggressively generally leads to more volatility. We have already seen over the last few days, as many Fed speakers had to come in and sort of correct the interpretation that market had of the perceived Fed pivot by Powell, had to correct that, which sent bond yields in the front end much higher, in the back end not really, the curve inverted further, more volatility ahead, especially in the bond market. Also, let's assume the next inflation print is worse for some reason. The Fed told us they're fully data dependent. No progress at all on inflation. They will need to hike 100 basis points in September. Now, this will generate mayhem again in markets. When you have that kind of volatility or perceived volatility in the bond market, which is the biggest, most liquid market in the world, people can't take many risks in that safe market, let alone take risks for long term in credit spreads or in equities. Generally, a higher volatility in the bond market is not positive. It's negative for other asset classes and requires wider, bigger risk premium to compensate you for that volatility, not lower risk premium. To sum it all up, I think the Fed can't and won't stop until the job is done. They're looking at the most lagging indicator of all, which is inflation. They want it to be killed. And if there will be big collateral damage inflicted to the labor market or the broad economy, honestly, they just have to go ahead. So when it comes to the sustainability of this market rally, whether it is a turning point or a bear market rally, I still sit very, very uh, tight in the camp of this is a bear market rally. And because of that, I would suggest that people just hold their horses. At the end of the day, the Federal Reserve is fighting the biggest inflation fight over the last 35 years. We have to hope that there is some progress on inflation the last thing I want to say in this uh, in this short episode is that a study that I run looking at recessions over the last 100 years in the US says that if we will get into one, there is nothing to be happy about because jobs will get lost, GDP will come down, et cetera, et cetera. But there is one thing we can be sure about from history is that every time over the last 100 years, we entered the recession with inflation above 3%, we exited the recession with inflation way below way, way below, back to central bank targets. In 11 cases out of 11, a recession with inflation above 3% always resulted in a post-recession period where inflation was much lower and much more under control. So if there is one silver lining of a recession is that it is statistically always able to slow down inflation. How long does it take? That's another question. So it takes on average 16 months to slow inflation with the recession from the peak entering the, the recessionary period back to 2%. It takes 16 months on average and the average peak to trough inflation drop with the recession is 7%. So if today we would enter one with inflation at 9%, history suggests that an inflation should be a recession should be able to lower inflation from nine to 2% and it will take 16 months. Now, obviously, this is going to be quite a painful process that central banks will need to manage through. It's not going to be easy, 
but assuming that the, the Federal Reserve, as per today, in August, the 5th of August, can pivot, given the mandate they have, given the incentive scheme they have, given the data that they have available right now, having barely reached neutral interest rates, it is just not consistent with history and with the stance that they will need to take to slay the inflation dragon. This was it for today, guys. And uh, thanks for uh, listening to my rants, global macro rants and charts. If you want to find more about that, you can do that on the Macro Compass. It's my free newsletter, themacrocompass.substack.com. There are roughly, I think, 85,000 people reading that. And uh, it goes out once a week. It's financial education, macro insights, investment ideas. There is also portfolio allocation in there. You can go and have a look if you want. For the rest, don't forget to subscribe to the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel and we'll talk again next week. Ciao, guys.